Claire. And I'm Ashley. And this is Celebrity Memoir Book Club. I almost had burn a fight. Oh my God. My brain is already atrophying for the lockdown too. Good. I'm so excited. I can't wait to be in a fight again. Um, actually, speaking of fights, I, I do come hat in hand to the team. Um, it has now been said to me by a couple of people that it was not likable or good when I screamed at, at the haters. And here's the thing is um, I was... I, People said it sounded like I was hating on the listeners. And I was like, no, I was hating on the haters. And they're like, yeah, but the haters aren't listening. The listeners are listening. So now you're just hating to the listeners. And I get that. And I guess I just feel like I, I, I am so appreciative of the listeners. Energy is good. We are who we are. And I guess my point was that. I will say real quick, we do have some haters listening. And they have been listening and then leaving one-star reviews. Which, this is what I wanted to say. I'm not like... I don't want to yell at anybody. I just want you guys to not do that. I wanted to say that this is the podcast and this is who we are and what we do. And if you found us from TikTok, I'm so grateful that you're listening. But this is not like a service that we pay, that you pay for. Do you know what I mean? Like we do what we do. It's a free download that you searched for and downloaded. And so if you don't like it, you can just not listen. Yeah, and we appreciate if you do that. It's funny to me when people are like... Um, you're mean and that's why I'm leaving a one-star review saying you're mean even like that's mean we like, do this for free and it's and when I say for free I mean at a huge financial and emotional loss yeah source. and also shout out to the people who subscribe on patreon we didn't record enough episodes last month but we will this, I mean we recorded as many as we said we would as many as was promised but we like to do extras and we didn't do extras but we will this month We've got all right lots. Anyway, to start our new positive way of life, we're going to say thank you to the to the fans and the people who love us. And we're going to ignore the haters because there's still room for growth in 2020. Um, Ellie Grace, 37. Thank you. Oh, I liked that one. Amaldo, 137. Thank you. Liked that one. Rearman. Rearman, our friend. Um, Okay, this is so one of my best friends is named Daphne Lee and she was born in 1993. And. Someone named Donnie Lee 94 left a literally review. And I was kind of like, when I first saw that one, I thought it was Daphne and it really freaked me out. I was like, what have we done wrong? It was like really fucked up that I thought. Um, And then Jamie GFSSFFF, we Ugh. fucking love you. Fatim 2, we love you. Masafumi Abe, I love you. Nesquik 101, we would love to do a podcast about Princess Diana maybe we'll watch a movie or something and do a bonus episode on the Patreon. Yeah. Yeah. Because she doesn't have a memoir because, because the queen killed her. Yeah. I mean, she, she died so early. We'll watch the crown and that's something, huh? Yeah. That's something. Um, yeah. So I just wanted to say if like, I used to think when we would get like random one star reviews that were like just goofy, I thought it was funny. And now it like kind of bums me out. So just please just, don't be a part of this if you don't want to be like, okay. So like Claire and I both do stand up, obviously. And this is not like an ambush show where you're like sitting at a place drinking just like a beautiful passion fruit cocktail. And we show up and just start spitting comedy in your face. Like you downloaded it. And if you don't like it, you don't have to stay listening. That's my point. <laughs> yeah. I feel that way too. We're not the U2 album that was downloaded onto everybody's phone. Okay. And I want to say real quick, <laughs> I just said that on purpose to set you off. Ashley, one day we'll do it. I think actually what's the good news. What good news? Isn't Bono writing a memoir? That's old news. 2019 that was announced. And I just like randomly when I was really depressed this week had like a surge of energy. And I texted it to you because um, in 2019 Bono signed a deal to write a memoir. 
And obviously I knew it wasn't going to come out quickly. Like it's not like a, a teen star memoir where they need to like capitalize on internet fame. That's going to be one that he's going to put serious work into and it's going to be an incredible memoir. You know, he's going to write us a masterpiece and it's going to take whatever time it takes. But like I had a surge of hope this week because I was like, if there's anything to do during quarantine, it's work on your memoir. Anyway, Ashley. For a creative soul. So anyway, so I had like a surge of energy where I thought, you know what? If there's any light at the end of the tunnel, it is Bono's memoir. And just to finish my thought really quick, if you guys haven't listened to Songs of Innocence, the album that was for free on your iPhone, because a lot of people had an initial reaction to it that was very negative, which I understand completely. It was a misunderstanding, an extraordinary misunderstanding. But if you have the time, listen to the album. It is life changing. <laughs> Ashley. Yeah. How was your week? What was the title my of your memoir week, this week? I would title my memoir this week. Um, Work, 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 work. <laughs> I just worked a lot. We had I, very different weeks. I know because I, you guys know my day job is in retail, not in re, like I don't work in a store, but I work for a brand and cyber week, as you might have seen on the internet is, you know, something you got to promote hard as you might have seen on the cybers <laughs> as you might have checked when you cybered recently, <laughs> send me your age, sex language, and I'll recommend some bath sheets. <laughs> um, Ex- Age, sex, location. That's what I meant. Okay. I knew the L stood for something. <laughs> you were right. It stood for something. In, in my language, it stands for language. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, so I just had a really busy week and I am burnt out to the friggin' brim. I am. I did. I want it full disclosure. I went home for Thanksgiving, which I honestly have a lot of anxiety about disclosing, but I... I mean, flying, according to the internet, is proven to be not bad. And Can I tell you, I took that to heart. I remember when all those studies were coming out where they were like literally zero transmission of it on an airplane. And if you don't sit next to somebody unless they cough in your face, there's no way you can get it. They all have yeah. HEPA and air I flew filters. Delta where everyone has the road to themselves. And then um, I saw on Twitter when that, uh, when that survey came out, that study came out, everybody was like, what did the airplane write this? And then I was like wait, I forgot that science is deeply influenced <laughs> by money and that if Delta and like South by Southwest or Southwest came together to write this study, they I for could sure should have. And probably I mean, did. they did. And I was like, oh, fuck, I forgot about the fact that like science is not infallible. And it, I chose to just not look into it that time. I'm just not in the mood. We have to, yeah. It's hard. And I, I do believe COVID. that I'm like person. <laughs> But I do believe that at some point there's the individual responsibility, but mostly it's the government's responsibility. And they've done this thing where they're, they just refuse to shut things down. America did worse than everybody else on the planet. It's, yeah. And I mean, in Montreal, they shut down, they shut down the uh, Quebec because there was 1500 cases. Yeah. And here it's like, uh, yeah, I didn't want to make this like a COVID complaining one. I just wanted to like, cause if I tell a story where I like talk about being home by accident and then I didn't want someone to be like, gotcha. Yeah. You know, no, I mean, look, I, I do think gotcha. we're at this weird point. There was also this bizarre feeling that I had during Thanksgiving. I didn't see my family because I'm a ha- uh, hero, but um, <laughs> shut up. <laughs> I do feel like there was this weird sense that it's going to get so bad because of all the Thanksgiving travel that you won't even be able to go home for Christmas. So your last chance is to go home for Thanksgiving. But like, since everybody's being so bad, you kind of have to be bad because it's going to get bad again. Like we did everything we were fucking supposed to at the beginning, but I just feel like no one else I don't know and I've been going to work up until now it's yeah. just a real I mean, mind fuck that they're like spend money and go to your job but then don't also kind of how I felt is I was like wow I spent like four full months feeling like so deeply alone and then because like no one else did that then 
now I'm like still supposed to be alone. Like how long (laughs) must we and long? I know. I know. I shouldn't be a crybaby. Everyone has it worse. The essential workers applause to you. I'm sorry that I made everything worse. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Um, anyway, so my week, um, I still was just like stressed out because of work and was just like an absolute cunt to my parents. I feel like being home, I like shouldn't have done it because it spreads disease and turns me into my absolute worst self. And that's not even my COVID self. Mm-hmm. Um, that is, I like was such a fucking bitch to my dad yesterday. I like don't even know. Like I'm thinking about moving, getting a new apartment. And my dad was like, oh, well, you need to like I was talking about how I really like Greenpoint and I think it'd be really great if I could find a place in Greenpoint. And my dad was like, well, you know, with Greenpoint, you've only got the one train and you've got to really be mindful of like commuting and stuff. And I like flipped, I was like the genius nugget of wisdom to remind me someone who lives in New York that you've got to take trains places. (laughs) And he's like, well, maybe you could get a bike, but if you get a bike, you've got to get a really good lock because people steal bikes. And I was like, once again, drop the fucking mic with this genius (laughs) over here. And then, um, and then my mom was like, you're being an absolute bitch. And I was like, damn, right. I I need to shut my mouth. (laughs) No, but like parents do this weird thing where they back you into the corner of like your teenage self, which is your worst (laughs) self. It's like they, when I go home, my, I used to lose a lot of stuff in like second grade. Okay. Oh my God. Yeah. I mean, literally the amount of stuff that my parents will like check to see if I have. And I'm like, I probably lost it because I'm home and not because I lose things as yeah. a person. <laughs> and they're always testing me if I lost it. And then, oh my God, the other thing my parents do that drive me crazy is like when we're with other people, they'll act like they never taught me how to be. They act like they didn't raise me right. And now they have to double check their work. And I'm like, maybe have some fucking faith in yourselves. I remember one time (laughs) when my grandfather died, my whole family obviously went down to North Carolina and we were staying with neighbors who my grandfather and grandmother were very close with. And they very graciously were like, we have extra bedrooms. You have a lot of people coming to stay like Claire and Thomas can come. So me and my brother were sharing a room. And I remember we would go over and in front of the whole family, they'd be like, did you make your beds? Your guests. And I was like 23. And I was like, yeah, I fucking know to make my bed in somebody else's home. Like, what do you think? I'm stupid. It's so humiliating that they, and hey, how about this? If I don't know, that's your fault. And you should eat that shame. (laughs) If you didn't raise me well enough to know how to be a guest in someone's home during a funeral, then maybe you need to just sit and look at yourself in the mirror (laughs) and think, what have I done wrong? Because you had 23 years to get that knowledge into my brain. I flipped that at my mom last night because I had a, like, or when I had my early flight to come back because I like flying early in the morning just because I feel like it's easier. And um, so I had to wake up at like 5.30 for my flight. And my mom goes, okay, so what time do you want me to get you up? And I was like, I get myself up. I know how. They say that shit to How me do you too. think that I get places? Like, how I do you guys you think I do stuff? It's unbelievable. <laughs> it is unbelievable the way they'll think they need to come make check that I'm awake. First of all, because on the daily basis, my mom sleeps later than I do. She doesn't have anywhere to be in the morning. Same. So. Every day this week, I was up before my mom. And then suddenly on like the day that I actually have to wake up to do something, they're like, what time should I make sure you're up? Because I wake up and you don't. And it's like untrue but then here's the so (laughs) one time last year me and mac went to my parents house to do like a christmas thing like my brother was there his girlfriend was there we went oh did you come yes yeah we all went (laughs) and made cookies but then me and mac slept over oh yeah yeah and i was excited because i love to hang out with my dog in the morning she comes and wakes you up and it's very cute and so i was all excited to do that and can i can i tell you i didn't set an alarm and my dad came and knocked and was just like hey i just didn't know if you guys need to wake up it's eight 
And I was like, holy shit. And I, I mean, we got to work on time. It was fine. But I just remember being like, they did this to me somehow with their weird <laughs> parent inception. And of course, the one time they didn't wake us up, they're like, well, we didn't want to bother you because like we wanted to assume that you could get up on your own. And I was just like, now of all days, <laughs> it's like my brain is broken, but it really is like. I don't know. You know what my parents used to do with my brother when he was being homeschooled because he went to online high school? Huh. Um, they would like go get him at like 7.30. Wow, he was the original COVID victim. Yeah, he did COVID <laughs> before everybody. Um, he got real depressed then too. <laughs> <laughs> we should have seen it coming. <laughs> he literally was on quarantine. He was so he didn't leave his room for like six months. Um, he had a girlfriend in college at the time and she would like come home and visit him in his room. I just remember being like... <laughs> you shouldn't be here. You need to go back to school. And if your boyfriend won't come visit you at college, then maybe you need to find a college boyfriend. Um, anyway, they would give him Adderall at like 7.30 a.m. And he would go you back to sleep. You told me that they like wrap it in a cheese. <laughs> and then he would go back to sleep and then they would come back up and do round two and now they were aided from like an inside organization. They had to like Trojan horse him into waking up. Yeah. <laughs> And they're like, it's going to take more than one force. You know what I mean? We need it from all directions. Like sprinkle a little cocaine on the pillow. <laughs> we need to wake you up. And we also need your blood to be rife with drugs, with amphetamines. <laughs> anyway. Anyway. Did you already say how your week was? I don't think so, but it almost doesn't matter. And do you want to do like a, in one sentence or less? Yeah. Um, I'll call it the young and the reckless. Um, much like you went home and endangered everybody. I was like insane this week. I hung out with a lot of people I just once my parents called off Thanksgiving I did have this feeling of like this is my last week to have fun everything's about to go into a lockdown I'm not risking anybody I'm actually worried about because everyone I'm a, so I like went and got drinks like every night with a different person I went bowling that's unhinged yeah I did a comedy show I I saw what life was like before COVID for a minute Ugh. and I have to tell you guys it was it. beautiful. It was, I mean, it might be worth dying for. I know one time <laughs> we accidentally like walked through a bar because we had been in the backyard and when we were walking through, there was a drag show happening and those eight minutes of like fun while we listened, while we waited to get your credit card back. I was just Ugh. like, oh, we're not overreacting. Like life was incredible. And like I was laughing no. with my friends at the bowling alley. Nothing has ever been more fun in my life. Just like yeah yeah it's been a weird week um but i'm gonna go get a covid test and i swear to god if i'm covid negative which i'm sure i am i will be i'll wrap it up and be very careful from here on out i give myself like one free week whatever whatever i'm sorry whatever you guys we're bad people trigger warning for this episode we talk about anorexia suicide and also uh, (laughs) yeah so if you got through this um this intro and you still think that we're worth listening to um trigger warn those trace and i hope you still like us and here we go demi here more. we go baby demi more demi more demi demi more demi more i was demi, gonna demi say more. Um, were you not like in it's the book Brittany, bitch. in the book when she starts talking about how she got the nickname in the press for being gimme more because she was the highest paid woman in Hollywood were you not like oh my god so Prussian have they know about that Britney song before Britney knew <laughs> so Prussian prescient it means to oh. pre as in before and sient as in like sentient like to know I thought you meant Prussian, like the Franco-Prussian War, which is the only reason I even know what Prussian means. And I have no idea where that war took place. (laughs) Prussia. Is that a place? It used to be. It's not anymore. Like Paris, Russia? Like a bunch of... (laughs) 
a bunch of Russians who speak French and love art. <laughs> yeah, why not? Um, I'm going along with it because I'm scared that if I say where I think it was, I'll be wrong and everybody will be like, Claire thinks she's so smart, but she's the dumbest bitch in America. Dumber than the bitch you just said. Is it like a Paris, Russia? <laughs> well, I almost feel like yes, because if you like, at least you don't pretend to know. <laughs> I literally don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but I feel like if I get on here and I'm like, you fucking idiot, it's where Germany used to be slash Turkey slash Austria. Oh, Turkey sounds right. I think it's in that general area. Austria also ends with an uh, Prussia. Like Prussia. Yeah, Prostria. <laughs> the prostrate of Europe. Okay, okay. <laughs> um, I'm so excited to talk about Demi Moore. I just finished the book. I read it in truly 12 hours. You really did. I am a little bit... I read it over the summer, so I'm like a little bit hazier. On should the we topics? admit that up top or should we act like we're, we're doing our research? No, we did do our research. We both read the book and you read it fresh and I read it stale. And that's <laughs> why together we are a perfectly aged wine. Yeah, kind of like when you mix a Pinot and a Sauvignon Blanc, like a Pinot Noir and a Pinot Grigio, you get rosé. Exactly. And then orange wine is... When, when you mix beer with rosé. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to try to make a joke about... Um, but I couldn't remember what colors you mix to make orange. I don't. I think orange is primary. Oh no! No, it's, <laughs> it's um red and yellow. Yesterday I saw an ad for vegan wine, and I was like, "What wine isn't vegan?" That's why I feel so weird about natural wine. I'm like, "What wine isn't natural? It's all from grapes and feet." <laughs> Maybe it's like feet without pedicures. <laughs> Feet as God intended, full of warts and scum. Then where does the alcohol come from? <laughs> if not the nail polish remover. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> okay, this is disgusting. Let's get into Demi because there's actually a lot to talk about. And we're really only giving is. it one episode. Let's, okay, so something I think is very interesting about these memoirs is that the more famous you are, the more you're allowed to talk about your childhood. Yes, and I do think I'm. I think that sometimes we go back and forth on whether or not we want child. We want very much childhood info. And with her, I'm happy we got that context. I always like childhood info, honestly, because it, it explains so much. Explains so much, and I. I mean, if there's one thing I know for sure, it's that my parents did too good a job raising me to make me successful. Exactly. Okay, I, so I'll give you guys the low key down quick. You know, the low key down quick. Yeah. As you often get. Basically, Demi was born in the 60s. She had a mom who was 18 years old when she was born, and she had a dad who was 19 years old when she was born. Um, as you later find out, that dad was 19 when she was born, not her dad. So basically, <laughs> from the beginning, they were like high school sweethearts. The dad went off to college to make him jealous. His, the mom married somebody else, got pregnant. He ran home, stole her, and they just said they would uh, pass the baby off as his. Um, they were very tumultuous. He was cheating on her all the time. He was gambling all the time. Charismatic, good looking. She was an alcoholic. He was an alcoholic. They would scream. They would fight. Their whole shtick was every time they got in, he cheated or they got into a big fight or she cheated, they would move. So they were moving every two or three months. Can I say something? I think that um, Demi Moore's dad or like the man who raised Demi Moore reminds me so much of Jessica Simpson's dad, except yes. for he didn't pretend that it was like God driving him. And also he wasn't gay. Um, so just in the sense that it's like wherever he thought he could make more money, he would go. Yeah. And he would like pool everyone there and he would make these decisions 
as uh, like this is for the betterment of our family when really he was this is for the betterment of myself yeah. and I'm gonna like see what I can accomplish here and maybe bring you guys maybe not we'll see what I can achieve <laughs> yeah they were very shysty people they're always like using fake names to take out credit cards at one point one of the most fucked up stories I thought was they're in Pennsylvania. They have like, they're outside of Pittsburgh. They have the first nice house that they've ever lived in. This is like their 12th home or something. And the father leaves, so they get separated. And that, or maybe not even, it's like something horrible. There's, I mean, they're always beating each other up. They're, the mom tried to kill herself. That's what it was. The first yes. time the mom tried to kill herself, she took all these pills, tried to kill herself. She gets her pump, stomach pumped. She starts seeing a therapist because it's the 70s and therapy is cool now. Six weeks later, she brings the kids to a hotel and tells the kids that she's leaving the father to marry the therapist and move to Seattle. Yes, this was absolutely unhinged. I mean, I almost think like one of the top three criminals of this book in which there are a lot of criminals is that therapist. That therapist is really fucked up. Um, He was going to provide everything for them. So in response to this, I mean, so I'm kind of like running through it, but basically it's the same old story. They're moving all the time. There's no set family. They're always having affairs, gambling. Her dad's, like, involved in, like, low-level mafia shit. So he's, like, always involved in shootouts. He's always getting beat up. Mm -hmm. Um, After the mom threatens to leave for the therapist, the dad kidnaps the children, takes them back to New Mexico or, like, Ohio or something. It doesn't even matter. The states are all the same. And they don't see their mom for, like, six months. Finally, the mom comes back. Then they move to... Then they move to California. The mom starts having, like, an affair with her boss who pays for all this fancy shit. Yes. The dad gets caught by the IRS. He exchanges his safety for the man who's funding their lifestyle. They break up. They break up for good and... um he only takes Morgan, the younger brother, who's five years younger with him. Demi is now feeling like, what the fuck? Why does my own dad hate me? At this point, she finds the, the parents' marriage certificate, which shows that they got married a year after they had claimed, which made her go, is he even my real dad? Turns out, no. Turns <laughs> out, no. As soon as the dad finds out that Demi knows, immediately pulls away from her. Yeah. He later goes on to, like, he like gets more and more out of her life. He's a terrible alcoholic. He's always almost dying. He takes Morgan, poor, this poor brother Morgan. I don't even know how he's doing. But ultimately, at 36, the dad kills himself. Right. Um, and then also, at one point during all of this, Demi went to go live with her grandparents in New Mexico for, like, a year just because she wanted, like, a normal high school year. Mm-hmm. Um, but this is before she went to go live with her mom in California, where she eventually kind of settled. Because once... Yeah. She and her mom were living in L.A., um, and this is after her, the boss who was funding them uh, goes to jail. They separate for good. They the separate for good. The mom moves into a singles building. If this sounds mm-hmm. convoluted and, like, we don't know what we're talking about, it's because I don't, it was convoluted. And, like, yes. nobody so, really knows the hard dates. Like, basically, all you need to know is that there was a lot of moving, first, a lot of disruption. Right. They bounced around a ton. There was a lot of shady activity. Then Demi kind of, like, separated from her parents and went to go live with her grandparents for a little bit in New Mexico. Then they moved to L.A. or, like, California area where... Um, the mom was had this guy who was just like funding their life. Then Demi and her mom moved into this building in Hollywood where Demi met N- Natasia Kinski. Yes. Which is a crazy celeb meeting, I think. Yes. She, so Natasia was there for, is, am I saying that right? Nastasia? Natasia? Um, I honestly can't pronounce it. Whatever. She's Prussian. <laughs> <laughs> She's like the most beautiful woman of all time. But um, basically she was there because... 
Roman Polanski wanted her and her mom to come to America so that her English would get better. And they lived in the same building as Demi. And they became, like, good friends. And Demi would read out loud all of the English scripts to her. And that was, like, her first foray into acting. Oh, and can I say another traumatic thing about Demi Moore's childhood that we didn't even get to talk about is she had a lazy eye that whole time until she, like, eventually got a little surgery to get it snapped into place. Also, she has some kidney problem where she would be hospitalized for months on end because her kid, oh, she, she yeah. was constantly having like renal failure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the lazy eye must have been tough. Can I say? Huh? There's a one situation. So I think three different times she has to go to the hospital as a child. Twice when she's a little kid, like five, and then again mm-hmm. at 11, she's in the hospital for months on end because they didn't know much about the disease. Um, and the second time, her, other, her brother Morgan was also there with like hemorrhoids or something. Yeah. Or a hernia. Something. I mix them up a lot. But I was just saying, like, what are the fucking chances? I kind of felt like foul play was afoot. With the brother or with the kidneys? I don't... It just felt very bizarre to me that I both of your... I think to spend ki- months in the hospital because of a disease is... I don't think that that could have been, like, shady business. But I do think, why was Morgan there, It just felt too? weird to me that both of your kids would need hospitalization like that. Yes. Um, anyway, so although the, it was like a lead paint era, like maybe they were all just like fucked up as hell, you know? Yeah. Um, anyway, so we're, now we're in LA. Demi basically doesn't have a mom. They're more like sisters. Like from mm-hmm. 13, Demi's mom let her take the car out and drink and carouse. Demi lost her virginity at like 14 to a boy down the hall who was in his 20s. Yeah. Um, and by loss of Virginia, I mean, was statutorily raped. She was, like, going to hang out, and she talks about how one day, like, they, she would hang out with a couple of the guys, and all the guys left except for one, and then that was that. And, like, uh-huh. he just had sex with her. And then... God, it, like, I mean, I think that one of the most disgusting things in the world is people in their 20s who hang out. Not even 20s. Like, anyone over the age of 17 who hangs out with anyone under the age of... 15 honestly is like freaks me the fuck out i mean when seniors in high school hang out with freshmen in high school i'm like that's weird it's so gross it's like you guys are just different species of people at this point you really are tadpoles and frogs you know like you can't (laughs) so basically now we're getting to the heat of it all she's 14 she's in la she's kind of going to school she's not going to school she's kind of like this wild child who's allowed to do whatever she wants she's doing a ton of drugs yeah she went to hollywood high school i think with like flea Yes, she did. But she, like, only kind of went. And then she ended up in night school. She went to, like, an annexation program for, like, um, people with, like, learning disabilities. And, yeah. Like, single moms and stuff. <laughs> and she's like, there I did really well. And I'm like, well, I don't know that that means anything. I think that they really were just putting the answers in front of you guys and being, like, copy from page A to page B and you pass. <laughs> Here's the thing, though. So... Her mom was, like, a mess. She was always sleeping with men. She was always, like, out and about, didn't care about her daughter. One of the most upsetting stories in it is the story of how they're at Beverly Hills Hotel one day having lunch, and this, like, 60-year-old man named, what is his name? Val Dumas. Yeah. Comes over, starts talking with them. He's and a be- producer. He was, like, a landlord, they said. He oh. owned the building that La Cage Full, which was, like, the hottest club of the era, was in. Yes. Um, he comes over and becomes like a family friend of theirs who would like pick her up from school all the time and take her out to lunch all the time. She's 15. And Demi gets more and more freaked out. So she stops letting him drive her home, stops going out to lunch with him. And then one day she gets home from school and there he is alone in her mother's apartment where she lives. She's like, how did he get in here? And at that point he rapes her. 
Yeah. She's 15 years old and he rapes her. She vows to never see him again. She's obviously like horrified. She thinks it's her fault. Cause she, I mean, she's 15. When you're 15, you think it's your fault because of rape culture and stuff. And yeah, you're young and you don't know, like nobody loves, like nobody took care of her. Nobody, nobody was telling, like no one was helping her with literally anything and, in her life. And, um, she had no adult. And so the next week her mom's like, Hey, we're moving Demi is happy to get out of the place where her tragedy trauma happened and who shows up to help them move. But Val Dumas, when they're driving to the new apartment where she's like, fuck now he's going to where I live forever. The mom gets out to start moving boxes in and he turns to her and says, how does it feel to be whored out by your mom for $500? And I have to say that is traumatizing. One of the most fucked up things. And she like also as a coping mechanism has like chosen to believe that he said that to be like fucked up. And that his, yeah, she kind (laughs) of doesn't know if it's true or not. She's like, I don't know if it was like implied that he would get to have sex with me. I don't know if my mom literally took $500. She's like, I don't know if he, as a down payment, I don't know if you give an old ass man keys to your house and the freedom to, she knew, I bet she did get $500. I'm sure she knew. I'm saying that like Demi as a coping mechanism has decided that her mom might not not have known. (laughs) Like it's, it seems pretty for sure, but like in her mind, and I get why she has to do that in her brain to be like, my mom might not have given someone permission to rape me for money. Her mom throughout this time is constantly drinking and going out. And then like every couple of months overdosing on pills and in a suicide attempt that Demi felt was never true, but was just really for attention. Attention. Um, I don't know. It's pretty traumatizing what was happening to Demi at this time. Like nobody really cared about her. She was on her own. She starts taking an acting class. And mm-hmm. there she meets this guy who's 28. They move in together. Yeah. To me, is 16 years old. Yes. And they move in together. I guess they have a relationship. She then meets out at a concert another guy who's 29. She's 16. They start dating. Yeah. She meets they get with- married at 18. This yes. is Frank Moore. Yeah. They get married at 18 four months after her dad committed suicide. Yeah. Here's something really horrifying that comes out of the book. So as she gets more and more famous, she starts taking off and she's away on a trip in New York, I believe. And he was giving to make money guitar lessons to this 14-year-old girl named Ruby. Mm -hmm. And Demi says, I bet if anything ever happened to me and Frank, you and Ruby would get together. And everybody was mad at her for saying that. As soon as they broke up, he started dating and is still married to this girl, Ruby. At the time, he was like 34 and Ruby was like 14 or 16 or something. I mean, he started dating to me when she was 16. Like, I mean, he's a pedophile and I a hundred percent and I'm like so fucking horrified at that. I mean, to me needed to get out of her mom. She was looking to get out of her mom's house. She didn't know how to do it. This is like a kind of common thing that we're going to see in some upcoming memoirs. It's like a young kind of troubled kid who doesn't have any like parental guidance of any kind who just like needs to get out and mm-hmm. not be under the roof of these people who are mistreating them and offering them absolutely zero guidance. So then they get into these like fucked up relationships because a 16 year old can't sign a lease, can't really get a job that pays them enough to pay rent. They end up in these relationships with these older predators who then fuck them over more, but they like have nowhere to like, what they else is she going to do? Also, they don't like, know what be love homeless? Is. They don't know what love is. I think Demi even talks about in this book how like yeah. if the way your parents showed you love is that it's like conditional and like a spotty and cruel and not dependable, then that's what you're going to think love is. And when you recognize that 
behavior from somebody else, you're going to go, oh, they love me because they treat me the way my parents treat right. me. Right. And I think that, you, well, we're actually about to get into her relationships, but I think that one thing that we see in a lot of them is that her relationships are her giving herself wholly to a person and them kind of being like, well, this is cool to be worshipped by this woman. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I feel like both holy and like W-H-O-L-L-Y and then like she uses people to fill the hole. Yeah. So she's like always looking for a block to put in her heart to fill mm-hmm. up the family space that's missing. Yeah. Like you can see how badly she wanted family, how much she wanted support, how much she like didn't know what those things entailed. Mm-hmm. Like she really doesn't understand relationships because she has, she's never seen, like she's, acted them you know what I mean like I feel like all of her relationships are like a very head over heels fall in love thing she is a lot like Mariah in that she was so famous so fast Mm -hmm. I mean she was 20 years old in St. Elmo's Fire she was 22 in St. Elmo's Fire so she had gone from like nothing to being one of the most famous actresses in two or three. You know what I mean? She just blows up quick. And I do think that that's such a dangerous thing to have happen to you. Yeah. Especially when you've at no point had a normal life of any kind. Like it's not like she like went from like a grounded situation to like blowing up. It had, I mean like we see it all the time with like child actors, regular actors, all kinds of actors. Like the ones who keep their heads on straight are the ones who had support systems and the ones who like go fucking bonkers are the ones who are just like let loose in like the most insane situation. Yeah. Um, I mean, I will say I think Jessica Simpson's saving grace was that she did have like a mother who seems to Supported care about her, her and yeah. exists in her life. But um, and she had like a support system in like these childhood friends and church people that like never really ever left her side. She just started like employing them. I just think it's very interesting too. somebody sent me a video last night when they saw we were reading Demi Moore. Um, being like, did you know she was a pedophile? And I was like, I haven't gotten to that part in the book yet. And they're like, no, 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 look at this video. And it's a video of her like kissing a 13 year old boy on his birthday, but she's really kissing him. She's like kissing him a lot. And it's just very clear to me why she would think that that's fine. And it's because her whole life, I don't think she has any idea of like what is acceptable to do to a child. She has no sense of like an age difference. She has no sense of consent. When she talks about her relationship with Ashton Kutcher, there's a 15 years age difference. She was 40 and he was 25 when they met. Um, she talks about how nobody ever bats an eye at Bruce Willis and his younger wife. They have a 23 year age difference. And I'm like, I get that, that there is a double standard in this society and this culture for when women date younger men versus when men date younger women. But I will say, I do think that her age difference stems from like a deep misunderstanding of power imbalances. <laughs> like, I do think she just has yeah. no idea why it's wrong to date somebody 15 because when she was 15 she was dating adult men yeah and I think that we also talk about a lot like with sexual abuse how people kind of get trapped in that age so like if she was like 15 years old getting raped by this guy that her mom like whored her out to then like dating a 25 year old is like I mean ever since she's been 16 years old she's been dating 25 year olds so like yeah What's the difference? She's 15 also, forever. <laughs> it reminded me of the Mariah Carey situation with Nick Cannon and that I think you see this a lot when somebody is denied a true childhood, a true adolescent period where they're allowed to honestly and like in a healthy, normal way experience age appropriate relationships where they learn those lessons 
they will return back to them later. So if you yeah. don't, like, you're going to get a 15-year-old teenage relationship, whether you get it at 15 or whether you get it at 45. And, like, that's why you have to get it at 15. Because when you do it at 45, it's fucking destructive, as you'll see. Demi's led to her children all abandoning her and cutting her out of their lives for five years. Yes. So back it up. Do a moonwalk backwards. And let's jump into her first, uh, besides Frank Moore, after her divorce from Frankie Moore, the man who gave her her name, um, let's talk about Emilio Estevez. She met Emilio Estevez on the filming of St. Elmo's Fire. You guys may know about it. She was so fucked up at St. Elmo's Fire that Rob Lowe in his memoir apparently talks about how they had a hot and heavy romance. And she's like, I don't even remember that. <laughs> um, which is like humiliating to be like, if you fuck two guys and you only remember one of them, I'd hate to be the forgotten guy. Oh my God. We have got to read Rob Lowe's he memoir. He was doing, she was doing so much drugs. She, yeah. I met this Brazilian girl when she was doing a film in Brazil who got her really into cocaine. Side note, her co- primary cocaine dealer was her dentist. <laughs> Her secondary cocaine dealer was her business manager. Can I say, that's I really don't trust dentists. That's really funny, and I think that's fair. I would love nitrous uh, gas. Nitrous. <laughs> um, but then I do want to point out the second crazy cocaine fact from this book was that she says that her at one point she was doing an eighth of cocaine by herself every two days. That is a lot of cocaine. And I really feel like doing cocaine alone is horrifying. I think I might start. You're already taking Adderall. Just stick with your Adderall. Yeah, I guess if I took my Adderall every day, it'd probably be much more effective. I have to go get my Adderall prescription re-upped maybe next week. Um, if you get any extras, let me know. Okay. If you get spares. Anyway, so Emilio Estevez was her first um, sort of notable Hollywood relationship. They were a very big deal. Um, he was... They were, you know, part of this whole brat pack era of teen, young adult, up and coming stars who partied all the time. And I think that the real reason that she loved him, she talks about this, the real reason she like stayed in the relationship is because he had such a close knit family and she like loved Mm -hmm. to be a part of it. (laughs) Um, Side note, gossip hit. She talks about hanging out with Martin Sheen. No. Yeah. Charlie Sheen. Charlie Sheen. I mean, she hung out with Martin Sheen, but I think the funny story is Charlie Sheen, when she talks about how he was like so deep and such an incredible actor and that he would write poetry and it was really moving. And I was like, gay. (laughs) (laughs) Gay. (laughs) Um, Do they compare me to a tiger blood? (laughs) Okay. So that was Emilio Estevez. Okay. So the most important thing about St. Elmo's Fire is that she was like cast on a whim she was actually at paramore studio or something auditioning for another role paramount paramore the band she was trying to be in their band she was gonna be Haley williams (laughs) but she was just a little too old um she was leaving and the director saw her was like she's perfect they saved her life. So basically they said you can only do this movie if you go to rehab yeah and sent her to rehab which she claims was like a new idea um, I don't know. It does kind of strike me as something that like never occurred to her. Like she watched her parents just like get fucked up over and over again. No, I'm again. saying she says that rehab was like a new concept at the time. Oh. And I don't know how, is that true? I don't know much about the, uh, I don't know about the history of rehab. But she said the Betty Ford Clinic started existing two years before. They sent her to rehab. She didn't know what it was, but she was so obsessed with like doing the movie and knowing how big this was for her career that she was like, whatever it takes to do it. And she got dead sober that day. I mean, Good. I think that's, I mean, it does seem like that's what it would have taken. Like if her career hadn't taken off, like she'd probably be dead. Oh, 100%. 
Um, I can't believe she's not dead, to be honest. Like everything that she was just like drink and drive at 13 on the yeah. highway in LA. I mean, she should be dead. Yeah. Um, but she was just too beautiful. Well, she had that good, good dentist cocaine. So it was actually very healthy. <laughs> what if she had like perfect teeth because he like put fluoride in it? <laughs> like fluoride cocaine. She was like taking teeth strengthener through the nose. Yeah. <laughs> so that movie saved her life and set and, her career up. Yeah, saved her life and gave her like a whole new life. She did Emilio Estevez. Something I think is really interesting. So they were actually engaged in six months. They were going to get married, but she started seeing a therapist. Here's something weird to be. She was filming a movie in New York and she started seeing a therapist in Boston. Oh, she was doing a play in New York. Yes. And she started seeing a therapist in Boston on her one day off a week. And I was like, were there no therapists in New York? But basically it was coming out that Amelia was cheating on her. She didn't know how to get out of this huge wedding she had planned. And her therapist said, I normally like to let people draw their own conclusions, but I have to tell you, do not fucking marry him. It will ruin your life. And she called (laughs) off the wedding. That's so funny that a therapist was like, normally I'm going to let people find their own truth, but I, I don't know. You like kind of half went to night school and I don't think you can get there. (laughs) She's like, we're on a timeline. Um, you cannot marry him. So she got out of that, but they stayed friends. She was at the opening of his film and she meets Bruce. Yeah. Oh, Bruce Willis. I don't know if you guys have heard of him. Very famous, very bald. So bald. Tall. Handsome. Uh, Potato. (laughs) I think Bruce Willis is handsome. In the way that a potato is handsome. I think he's, I just, I don't know. I feel like actors have gotten too, like, pretty Pretty. He's very rugged. I will say, too bad for those daughters, though. Because if there's one thing that's true, it's that those daughters are not cute. Yeah, they've got... That Tallulah makes me laugh. She had the craziest post on Instagram about it's like her in a bikini looking absolutely emaciated walking across and like dancing. And she's like, you may look at this photo video and go, what a happy, confident girl. Little would you know, I was dying of anorexia. And I'm like, little, that's all I know. I look at this photo <laughs> and I know one thing for sure is that you're about to die of anorexia. I can see every bone in your hip. And I thought there was only one bone there. <laughs> and, I'm like, and you're also walking, like, you know how everything about an anorexic is anorexic. Like you could see one photo of their hand and in the way that they're making it a claw, you're like, oh, they've like... They're like looking to see how they can make their hand look the skinniest. Yeah, like <laughs> or like they'll do like a photo where they're like jutting out their collarbone. That's yeah. a big anorexic tell. If you've ever heard a woman talk about how she just like loves to eat a spoonful of peanut butter, she's anorexic. Like anorexics can't hide it and literally everything they do. Like every yeah. minute of their life is so anorexic. And even the way I remember Tallulah was dancing and she was in a string bikini looking emaciated. Hunched over, sucking in as hard as she yeah, could. Yeah, and like she did that thing where she like got all of her hip bones to come out. She was just like flailing them around like they were a xylophone, <laughs> just playing them with her own fingers. And you're like, oh, you were sick there? Who knew? <laughs> anyway, anorexia is not funny. Trigger warning. Um, <laughs> reverse trigger warning. All women are allowed to laugh about anorexia because we've all been plunged into an anorexic society. So I we're all sick agree. of it. I completely agree. Listen, Listen, and The okay. way all black people get to say the N-word, all women get to talk about anorexia. <laughs> so when Bruce and Willis... So when Bruce and Willis met... No. When Bruce and Demi met, they, it was like a whirlwind romance. You treated yes. her like a princess. He was like a party bachelor. He loved partying. He loved getting drunk and having a limousine. He had recently come to quite a bit of success. Yeah. She had recently come to quite a bit of success. They were young and they were happy. 
And he like met her family right away. He was like very good to her. Within six months, they got married at Las Vegas. And then something that's crazy to me is so two months after that, I guess they were at the same studio and the studio TriStar saw it as like a huge opportunity for a tabloid success. They were like, yes. oh, there's, this is going to get so much PR. So they had this over-the-top wedding that was shot by Annie Leibovitz. It was um, Richard, not prior. Richard, Lil Richard was yeah. the efficient. And what was the craziest fact to me was the whole thing was done on two sound stages. Yeah. So they like dressed up two giant sound stages like it was a set in a movie to be their wedding. So they made one look like a chapel and they made one look like a reception area. And they literally just like had like their whole wedding was just like loud PR basically. <laughs> Something about the soundstage, I was like, this is too on the fucking nose. <laughs> yeah. And they were, here's the thing. Here's what I was saying earlier about her relationships, how like, I think what they loved is how much she loved them. Like she really was like, this is a relationship. Like we are together forever and we love each other and everything's perfect. And I think he was like, this is very cool. And we're like two famous people at kind of a similar place in our lives and we get along. Yeah. I feel like he was just impulsive and loved it. Mm-hmm. And I, I think she was just like having fun and it was intoxicating. And she was like, I think that people think that getting married will give them a family, but it's like a, fi- mm-hmm. a marriage is something you have to work on constantly. It's, they really think it's the end of a story, but it's not, it's like the beginning of a journey. And I think this happens all the time where people are like, I want a stable home that I can come home to after a cocaine binge. <laughs> right. And the lengths that she went to make them a family I mean, first of all, they had three kids together. That's now that's a family, but they, they like because Hollywood was quite a quite a bit at the time. They were both so famous. Um, this was you know right when paparazzi stuff was starting to really ramp up, when like tabloids were starting to become such a source of entertainment um, and fun, entertainment and joy. money for paparazzi, etc. Um, so what they did is they like bought a house in Haley, Idaho. Yes, and started sort of making a life there. And this is what I think she was just so caught up in. I think she like loved the way that they were like, we are a family unit above all else. And so we're going to like go somewhere to like keep ourselves safe, to be happy, to do whatever. And like, I think he was just like a vacation home. <laughs> yeah. I'm, well, I mean, I think he, it seems like he really loved those kids. It seems like he's a good dad. Yeah. But I, I do think that, I mean, who is it? Chris Rock who has that joke that you're on, a man is only as faithful as his options. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> um, I mean, he had endless options, and I do think that he got more and more and more and more and more, more yeah. famous. I mean, yeah. So they, at one point, I think were the highest paid man and the highest paid woman in Hollywood. Yeah, I mean, they were together when he got Die Hard, so that yeah. kind of changed the game for him. Yeah, it really did because people love that movie and I heard it's about Christmas. I actually don't know what Die Hard's about at all. Christmas. Because people die on Christmas so often? I don't know. I've never seen it. I actually do think Christmas is the number one suicide holiday. I've seen Mission Impossible. Is that similar? I thought New Year's was the number actually, one suicide holiday. I don't holiday. know. I just told you I don't know what it's about. You can't okay. ask me what's about when I'm <laughs> saying what is it about. I'm saying I think New Year's is bigger for suicide. You know who loves to kill themselves? No. Dentists. Yes. I actually did know that that is one of the highest suicide professions. I've also heard toll booth workers. Interesting. Mm-hmm. I think both are very lonely jobs. Why would a dentist be lonely? They have all of those little uh, hygienists to keep them warm at night. But they don't like talk while they're working. 
Okay, my dentist is always talking when they're working. They I know, they're talking at you, not with you, though. I think that's lonely. <laughs> Fuck, we're going to run out of time talking about all the drama in her life. I know, there's just a lot of drama in her life. You guys, if you want to hear more about Demi Moore at the end of this episode, please subscribe to our Patreon. We will do a bonus Demi episode on our Patreon where mm-hmm. we'll get even more into it. And for those of us who are just joining us from TikTok, we are not PC. We're trying our best because we want this podcast to be successful. But if you want to hear our honest-to-God thoughts... You yeah. want to hear the jokes that we if cut to be appropriate? Us, get on Patreon. Yeah, it's for five dollars a month. You can honestly ruin our careers, <laughs> and um, not even our comedy careers. Like you could get us fired from our day jobs. <laughs> oh, please don't, you guys! If we're not going to get a comedy career, then that's all I have. And if you are going to ruin our lives, please pick the ten dollars option on Patreon because you, if you're going to get me fired, you owe me that extra five dollars. <laughs> Um, anyway, so Bruce Willis and her, yeah, they broke up. He basically the whole time didn't want to be with her. I think it was after their first baby. It was two years into their marriage. He said, I don't know that I want to be in this wedding any marriage anymore. And then she just kept getting pregnant. Yeah. Yep. Concurrently, she developed an eating disorder. Yep. yep, Who was the first person that told her she was too fat? I think it was when she was doing Ghost. There was a movie that she was told that she wouldn't get the part if she didn't lose 10 pounds. Yeah. And so that kicked off an eating disorder for her, which was so bad that it almost like killed her kid. Yeah. What I thought was like something interesting, I think, was she talked a lot about her eating disorder, but not she also didn't. So she, she was like, yeah, I had an eating disorder, but she doesn't like get into the nitty gritty of it. But some of the casual remarks she talked about were so damning that I was like, this is what was missing from Ellen not Ellen. This is what was missing from Portia's book. When she talks about having her second baby who she gave birth to early. And on the very first day after she gave birth, she started hiking and running again with the baby strapped to her back so that she could lose weight to get in shape for a few good men, which was Mm -hmm. shooting in one and a half months. Um, Basically the baby never gained weight. When she went to the doctor after a month, the baby was the same weight as it had been when she had given birth to it preemie. And they were like, because you won't stop working out the, there's like an enzyme in your breast milk that's like breaking down the fat and she's like, it's killing your kid. She refused to stop working out. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot, like there's a lot of stuff. She talks about like learning intuitive eating and stuff. And it just, I don't know, looking at like speaking of Tallulah's eating disorder and like all that stuff that she posts about it, reading this book, I was like, of course, why is she the only one of the three talking about having an eating disorder? I mean, I think like, she's just the only one of the three who's going to die from the eating disorder. I'm sure they all have really fucked up eating yeah. habits. I mean, Demi talks about, so to be in GI Jane, she goes through like a grueling workout training to get as jacked as possible. She gets up to 138 pounds. Mm-hmm. As soon as she gets home from that show, that movie, she decides that she's done torturing her body with food and she just wants to like intuitively eat and stop like working out heavy. She starts, and what I found interesting is one of the first things she says about intuitive eating and she goes, if I don't want to eat to lunch, then I won't eat to lunch. And I'm like, okay, that sounds unhealthy. Yeah. It's funny that like the way that you respond to your body is by first things first, just know that I barely had any meals. My body honestly does not want meals. And I'm like, <laughs> sure. That's what all of our bodies want. Honest to God, when I listen to my heart, it says don't eat or you'll die. <laughs> so then she goes, in two months, I'd casually lost 30 pounds. So now she's at 108. After her divorce from Ashton Kutcher, she gets down to like, 96, I think she said. Yeah. I mean, okay, so let's talk about... So when she was with Bruce, he was the highest paid man and she was the highest paid woman in film. But hers was met with a lot more flack. So she talks about the Vanity Fair article where on the cover she's the pregnant naked lady, which was... Ashley did a really good tuck talk about it. It was like met with a lot of backlash. People called it porn. Some people called it empowering. The article that it 
company that was all about how she was a diva who only got roles because she was Bruce Willis's wife. Um, yeah, how she like demanded so much money, this and that, which like when you look at her career, it's like the amount of fame that she had at that point was astounding. Like, I mean, she, I will say she is a box office hit. Yeah. Like, Ghost was a huge movie. G.I. Jane, was that big? I feel like I... I don't know if it was big. I think... I feel like I've always known it, though. Yeah, but I think it didn't do as well as they wanted it to. And people... Also, it's just interesting. She talks about how, again, I've said this, like, four times now, but he was the highest-paid man, and she was the highest-paid wo- woman, and she was making just, like, a fraction of what he was making, and people yeah. were just calling her, like, give me more, more, more. And how she was like, what the... F- like that is insane. Like, yeah, she just wanted what a man was paid, and she did. I mean, she had good delivery at the box office. Yeah, she was in a lot of movies. But then she had this downward spiral where you know she was made to look greedy because of how much she was being paid all the time. She had a couple of movies come out that were rather controversial. She said that GI Jane people didn't like it because they, you know, didn't like that all of a sudden she was tough, and then striptease they didn't like because all of a sudden she was a stripper and she was like too slutty to be a mom and this and like everything was met with backlash and I think it like really drove her to Idaho (laughs) well here's something I want to say that I think is very interesting and here's where I took a very different read on it than Mm -hmm. she did so she talks about how clearly she had an eating disorder and she's like it is interesting when you look at the movies I chose like I was constantly choosing these movies where I was very exposed physically she talks Mm -hmm. about indecent proposal where she's like on the bed naked she talks about striptease where she's literally a stripper she talks about about um, G.I. Jane, Jane, where she has to get super jacked. And she goes, this proves to me that like I was working out my eating disorder problems before I was willing to face them head on, kind of like in the roles <laughs> I was picking. I had a very different read on the movies she chose. She did a lot of sexually explicit movies. Yeah. I think that most of her role choice came from this idea she had that was instilled within her as a little girl is she is nothing more than a sex object. Like, I really do believe that more than her weight, it was her belief that all she could bring to the, her only value was in being sexy. Yeah. And I mean, she talks about it a lot early in her career that people were so fascinated by her, like, you know, like dark, dark hair and her like pale skin and her deep raspy voice. And everyone was just like, this is hot. Like whatever this is, this is sexy. And I think that that positive reinforcement of like, no matter what her like core being just like was sexy. She's like, this is what I have that I can. Well, in more than that too, was even the fact that she had been like raped so many times. So I think that really did make her think that, I mean, she seems, I don't really know what the critical reception of her is for the most part, whether or not she's considered to be a good actress. She did win a golden globe for ghost. And I know that, um, a few good men is considered a really good film. And like, I, so I I feel like she has been in some movies that are considered pretty good. And like, clearly she was very successful from the get go. She also doesn't really have much formal training in any way. Yeah. She just kind of like made it happen. But I do think that, um, she really does see herself as somebody who's only valuable to be had sex with. And I mean, she, she talks about like looking at, like her mother and her grandmother, all the women that she was raised with and raised by kind of set up this, this pattern of like your life is to find a man and do everything you can to keep him and follow him around. And like women really are just de- de- uh, defined by the men who will see- sleep with them. Right. So let's carry on with her relationships. That brings us. So after she and Bruce broke up and that seems she doesn't really talk much about their breakup other than it was happening while her mom was dying. Her mom ended up getting very sick um, because of years of drug and alcohol abuse, et cetera. Um, 
And so like kind of while she spent a couple months back in New Mexico caring for her mom as she died, she and Bruce were also splitting up. (laughs) And um, after that, we know that she got pretty quickly with Ashton Kutcher. Kutcher. So as I was saying before, I really do think this comes from the fact that when she was 25, she had her first kid. She never really got to be have like mm-hmm. a fun, young, loving relationship. I mean, even the relationship before that, I would call them statutory rape. She was always being raped until <laughs> she had a baby. Yeah. So that doesn't give you a lot of time to have fun, young love. I will say the way she talks about Ashton, he was the love of her life. I think he was the love of her life. And I, yeah. And I think that she was like a, formative relationship for him like yeah, I think no, he was she was not the love of his life I think that she was like his first serious relationship and he liked her and thought it was like cool that he was it dating makes sense this to like me, though that he'd be into like an older woman though because he does take himself very seriously and mm-hmm. I mean we can see now he's so successful I feel like he's like almost a billionaire like he has yeah a, he's like a tech genius he like just made money as much as he could his whole thing was making money and mm-hmm. being as successful and as important as he could she talks about how he has the the best work ethic of anyone she's ever met and she talks about how he was a big picture person and i think he liked the idea of settling down and being serious and not being a fuck boy yeah but as like i mean i feel like all men have it in them on the yeah. one hand they At want the same the time, love you're and only comfort. as faithful as your option but even like i think they all love the idea of having a wife like i think if you ask most men like a lot of men are like i like the idea of having somebody love me at home but then they also are like, but it's so fun to party. Yeah. Like, I yeah. don't know. I feel like this idea of the guy who's like, you'll never tie me down. Even Hugh Hefner always had a main girlfriend. Like people, not a lot of people, are, you know, who was like the biggest bullshit was that guy Barney on How I Met Your Mother. Like, oh, yeah. There are not a lot of honest to God men who are like, I just want to have sex with somebody new every day. And that's it. Most people, they want, want to be taken care of and loved and have companionship. Mm-hmm. That's human. Yeah. And, and it's I think much more likely that they'll want that at home and then want to get to go cheat on the side than it is that they'll be like, I never want to be tied down by anything. Yeah. And like, you know, as much as Demi Moore was like 15 years older than him, she was like fucking smoking hot when yeah. she was older. Like, um, I think they started dating like around the time that she did Charlie's Angels 2. And like... They met at a Charlie's... She was in New York yes. doing Charlie's Angels 2 pre... Uh, premier press junkets and went out to dinner with Sarah Foster who invited right. Ashton Kutcher and then they met at his hotel room and the rest was history. He was there in town doing SNL. Yes. And I mean, she, he was just blowing up. She was older and wiser and smoking hot. And they both had like a lot of curiosity. I think that she thought it was like novel and cool. Cause like she had already, you know, had a good chunk of life. And I think he was literally just discovering himself. You know what I mean? Their and whole I really like do think, I, mean, I know I already compared it to the Nick and Mariah thing, but I do think as a woman, you're not given the luxury of finding yourself and making those missteps. She had, I mean, the burden of being a mother is true. Like whether or not she was a good mother, she did carry those babies in her body and live right. in Idaho and raise them. And so like, I do think that in dating Ashton, she got to rediscover that young excitement of what it is to be suddenly so successful and young and enjoying it. And he didn't get very much paparazzi mm-hmm. coverage until he started dating her. Yeah. He was a huge, she was a huge boon to his celebrity. Career. Yeah. He had a, a good career, but she made him a celebrity. Yeah. And so then their relationship, it was just like a fun step in his life. And for her, she loved him. Yeah. 
And that is tough. That's probably tough to be a part of. And, like, eventually he just kind of lost interest, it seems. Like, the way that their relationship sort of, like, he just started well, it was cheating like a mid, on her all the time. It was a mid-20s relationship for him. Like, you yeah. know what I mean? It was, like, exactly as you said, it was the first really serious relationship. Well, I guess he was engaged to January Jones. But when you're young, you have these serious relationships that aren't forever, but they're important. But when you're 45, yeah, your serious relationship is forever. So this part's important. So she, um, they were trying to have a kid together, and she got pregnant and miscarried um, around the middle, like right when it was you know, very traumatic to miscarry. <laughs> like, I feel like it's always obviously deeply traumatic, but the further along you are, it's, you know... Six months, that's intense. Yeah, the harder it is to mentally prepare or, like, the harder it is to, like, come to terms with. And that miscarriage, like, fucking wrecked the shit out of her. And then instead of processing it, she just kept trying to get pregnant again. And that and, made like, it more and more brutal. I would yeah. say IVF seems like one of the hardest experiences to go through emotionally and, mm-hmm. like, physically. It, I mean my hats are off to anybody who like did that. I don't know that I could do that for a baby. I don't think I could do it. I've like told Mac, I've been like, look, if I can't have a baby, like I don't have it in me to like the ups and downs, the physical, I will just adopt. I'm like, I'm not that special that it needs to be like me. We'll get a better one. We'll pick from a lineup. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Anyway. Yeah, so she, after losing that kid, I think that that was, like, a huge problem for them where, like, she sort of, like, threw herself into, like, trying to have a baby and he sort of threw himself into not being interested anymore. Yeah, and he was cheating on her all the time. He basically broke up with her. Something interesting that he did to her, though, that was, I mean, here's the thing. When Demi was with him, she didn't act like a 40-year-old woman with a 25-year-old man. She acted like a 25-year-old woman with a 25-year-old man. Yeah. She gave up her career basically to follow him around. She talks about how she alienated her children because she was so obsessed with him yeah. that she ashed in. I mean, to this day, she still talks about being like so obsessed with him and how that was like the most formative relationship. I mean, she has three children with Bruce Willis. And Ashton is like the one she talks about. <laughs> yeah, and she talks about how they had a magical connection, that a sexual connection like she never knew, that it never she never felt anything like that before. And she talks about like basically she ignored her kids because she was so obsessed with Ashton, who was a good stepfather to them. But then I think what was really crazy is um, they're on vacation in Mexico for a Valentine's Day one day, and he basically says at 25 years old, I don't believe in alcoholism. You oh, sh- yeah. You should be able to have a drink. And from that moment on, she like plunged back into alcoholism. She basically wanted to drink to impress him. I'm sorry, if you're 40 and you have 20 years of sobriety under your belt, you don't fucking give it all up for a 25-year-old. And I think that this is a very... Like, I do have a couple friends who are in the program who have had this experience of relapse where they're like... Like, I know a couple people who got sober very, very young. And, like, they always have this, like, question in the back of their mind that's sort of, like, was I just too young to know how to handle my alcohol? You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, maybe I just started drinking and doing drugs too young. And now that I'm, like, a full-grown adult, I, like, know how to have, like, one or two drinks and then go to bed. And it's, like, no – and addiction is a disease, like, that you have. (laughs) I mean, not everyone has it, I think, but who is sober, I don't think all of them. But a lot of times if you're, like – 18 years old and you're like, I need to get sober because this is a huge problem. Like it's a huge problem. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I agree. 
And um, so she basically agreed with him. She was also, like, yeah, I should be able to have two drinks and then go to bed. <laughs> I like, I know this, I'll probably get slammed for saying this, but I will say at 18, a lot of people are drinking the way an alcoholic drinks. So if you're drinking is more of a problem than everybody else who is drinking mm-hmm. at an alcoholic level, then like it is a problem. Exactly. Like if at 20 years old, you're still the person who clearly has the mo- biggest problem, then that's bad because everybody's drinking even in a way to kill themselves. People are in, yeah. I mean, yeah. Everybody, like the way people drink in college in the United States is... A death. I mean, people die. (laughs) Yeah, literally die. (laughs) Like they're trying to like people drink with the express intent to get blacked out because they think that's fun. They think it's fun to be blacked out multiple times a week. Yeah, they think it's fun to drink so much that your body has to like shut your fucking brain off. And they're like, oh, successful night. So if you're drinking to a point where um, in that crew, you still stand out as the person with the problem, then you do have a problem. Right. No, I completely agree. Like I have a friend who got sober um very young and like we used to party together and she would like be so like we would have to carry her to a car once a week and it was when she got sober it was like yeah i mean you were a mess mm-hmm. and like, and she would say she'd be like oh i don't want to get drunk tonight i'm just gonna have one drink and she would and i would find her like literally on the floor at a party and so it's like yeah. if you I hate, though, that society isn't set up in a way where it's, like, more normal to be sober. Like, I think it's so weird that Mm -hmm. the expectation is that you drink and that anything that goes away from that is, like, means you're, like, a freak Mormon or Totally. Or you have to explain your fucking traumatic history. Can you imagine if you were to explain why you don't smoke cigarettes and you'd be like, I don't know, I don't want to die. Like, I don't like the fact that it's, like, my lungs actively reject it. The fact that we don't have that understanding for alcohol is really bizarre to me. Yeah, it's stupid. Anyway, to me... um quit drinking for a reason and then and then Ashton told her that she might not actually have a problem she might have just been too young and so she started drinking and doing drugs again obviously just like a little bit at a time I think she said for like a year it was just casual and she said for the first time it was like funny because she would get so drunk she'd pass out and then she talks about how on their 44th birthday they all went to Joe what Francis's house God, fuck Joe Francis. I hate Joe <laughs> Francis, honestly. And I hate that every celebrity like uses it. I like Joe Francis turned like exploitive prostitution into the world's most successful Airbnb. I hate Joe Francis so much. <laughs> like, I mean, he made all of his money from Girls Gone Wild, where I don't think they were paying those girls. They were just going down no. and getting drunk girls to expose themselves and basically do porn for free. And then he took all that money and now he just hosts like the most famous people in the world. I mean, it really is just a very good Airbnb. I mean, because they have them sign releases and I think that that is illegal. I think it's just like hard to prove that you were blacked out when you signed it. But I think that if you're like inebriated when you sign a document, isn't, doesn't that not count? I know. I just think it's really fucked up. I that mean, he made it, it doesn't all, count. Like, you just can't fight these it. Girls. Yeah. I hate that. But that's what I'm saying is he like took so much advantage of them. Anyway. Oh, so they're at his house and she like passes out in the hot tub a bunch of times and almost dies except for people keep pulling her out. And then Ashton gets really mad at her for drinking. And she's like, I just feel like he was mad when I was sober and then he was mad at the consequences. And he really saw it as my fault. Another side note that she gives like two, she gives one fucking page to the fact that at one point she went to the dentist, got Vicodin for a mm-hmm. tooth surgery, got addicted to Oxycontin or whatever. And she said she was up to 13 pills a day. Yeah. That seems like a lot. She really like, I mean, I'm pretty sure you're supposed to take like half, <laughs> half of one. And then she says it got really bad when it got to the point where she couldn't remember how many pills she was taking. And so her kids were gone and he was gone and she just detoxed alone at home. And when he came home, instead of being proud of her, she was, he was just like annoyed by it. And it's just like, and then I'm not even kidding. Three pages later, she talks about how her children stopped talking to her and she has no idea why. And it seems like they just like randomly picked her to be mad at. And I'm like, well, she says that story 
she says the reason they stopped talking to her is that story about when Tallulah got busted for underage drinking. Yeah, but then she's like, they just used it as an excuse to be mad at me, but I don't know why. And I'm like, okay, I remember one and a half paragraphs ago when you were literally detoxing off of Oxycontin because you got addicted because your boyfriend convinced you to do drugs and you were ignoring your children. Like, I can think of why they were mad at you. No, I agree. <laughs> it was just weird how she could ha- like recognize all these truths in herself and then not, and then still not be like, I deserve to be cut out of their lives. Yeah. I mean, she has like a very remarkable lack of self-awareness that I think made this book kind of hard to read. Like it was really interesting. It had like all of the sauce that I was looking for. There's a lot of juice in here, but there's like these conclusions that she just like gets so close to and cannot hit. I I need you. I need, I want the therapist to like pop in at the end of the book and be like, okay, so what have we learned? I'm just going to tell you (laughs) seriously. And I do think at the end, she does seem to learn the kids are back. She talks about how she, if they need to cut her out of their lives for the better, then she'll just keep working on herself. It seems like she's sober. I mean, she talks about being 50 years old and she spent Christmas alone. Nobody called her. She spent Mother's Day alone. Nobody called her on her 50th birthday. Nobody called her. I just That's think, like lonely and sad. That is so sad because, and I, I just think the fact that like, I mean, I think that she now knows that she like needs to be there and like put her kids first better. But I also think the fact that she doesn't do the work to be like, why did they stop talking to me so badly that like I've been in a fight with my parents and then like still called on their birthday. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's you, you like the fight doesn't have to be over, but you can still say didn't like talk to her for years, all three, three of them. years. And then even rumor stopped talking to her. She was doing drugs with rumor and had a seizure. And then rumor stopped talking to her too after her yeah. divorce. And it's just like, and she was like, yeah, I recognize now I shouldn't have been doing drugs in front of my daughter and her friends. And it's like, that's not the thing. But then she's still like, I was always a really good mother. And I'm like, I don't know. I don't think a really good mother like has a fucking. She says so many times in this book that she was a good mom. And it's just like, I literally know a lot. of. You said this right yeah. when you came over here. There's so many bad moms whose kids have never stopped talking to them for three years. And all three of them, too. I mean, I don't know. It's just people really cannot admit that they fucked up as a mother. That's like the one thing nobody will admit. Yeah. Everybody's like, will go to their fucking deathbeds. All of their kids could have like died of, you know what I mean? I don't know, of like exposure and cold and malnourishment. And they'd still be like, I did my best as a mother and I was a good mother. And this is the thing is I do think she did her best as a mother. Like I do think that she had literally no example. I do think she was a bad mom. I will say, or not a bad mom, but I do think that there was room for improvement. I think there were things that she did wrong. And I do think she did the best she could having not understood literally anything about what parents are supposed to do or what they're supposed to be. Yeah. It's so funny and interesting to see um, the ways you'd be a bad mother when you're poor and then a bad mother when you're rich. It's like yeah. funny the way, like it's an interesting difference. Cause like her mom just dragged her across the country like yeah. two or three times a year to move somewhere new every time she wanted a different life. But when you're rich, you just like get on a private jet and abandon your children. And I don't know which one's more damaging. I just think it's, she didn't understand the role of parent. Like no matter how money plays into it, she like doesn't understand. She didn't understand like what a parent is supposed to be. You know, I also think, I mean, in that line. I have a new theory. Okay. I would like to... So she talks a lot about how good of a parent she was when they were little. When they, She took um, five years off of acting to be with them full-time, be a full-time mom. And it seems like they had a very normal life in Idaho. Mm-hmm. Um, but then she talks about when they went through puberty and they looked like adults, she forgot they still needed a mother. 
my new theory is that she, she doesn't like believe in like adolescence. And it's so funny because I think in the industrial revolution, like the early 19th or the early 20th century, they had to like invent the idea of the teenage years. Yeah. Like they had no concept of like you're a child and then you're an adult when you're 13. And like they had no idea that there's like this middle period. And I kind of think because she was thrust out on her own at like 13, 14 and she was raped and had this innocence taken from her and like she was like neglected and nobody raised her and she was like living with adult men at the time of 16. She honestly could not conceptualize that she needed to take care of her children when they were teenagers. That's what I mean. She like did not understand the role of a mother. Like yeah, she just like had never like, seen it. And she was just like, obviously when a kid is eight, you have to pick them up from school. And she was very proud of that. But then she forgot that when they were like, 15 you also still have to be there for them at school she talks about Tallulah being so stressed at rumor's 16th birthday because people were drunk and Tallulah had never seen anyone drunk before and it, it like doesn't even cross her mind that it was fucking weird that she was like letting 16 and I'm, I'm yeah. sorry if it's a 16 year old's birthday party then some of those kids are 15 she's letting 15 year olds get drunk at her house and letting her 12 year old watch like that is bad parenting but she just truly doesn't know that teenagers she has are not no adult. idea she's like oh she's 16 and she's never even been she like not drinking all the time. I was 13 when I started drinking all the time. So yeah. now that she's 16, this makes perfect sense. Like she had no, I, I really think she just didn't know. And um, it's like she, there's a line in the book that like I'm obsessed with where she says that she felt very protect. She had an almost primal need to protect her children. Right after they're born, when she had newborns. She's like, I, yeah, she's like, I would have done anything to protect them. It was an almost primal need. And it's like, no, no, it's not an almost primal need. It's a literal primal need. That's what it is. Um, all right, you guys, we're kind of out of time. If you want to hear more of our thoughts on Demi Moore, where we get into the nitty gritty and really, uh, say some things that are not okay. Yeah. Sign up for the Patreon. I'm doing my best to be like, here's, I understand her point of view and on the Patreon we will really pass judgment. All right. We love you guys. (laughs) Don't forget to rate review and subscribe. Thank you.